are wrapping up our series on the emotions of Jesus. Uh, what we've been looking at is that whether, whether you're good at using them or bad at using them, they're going to show up. We are going to have emotions, and they will impact every aspect of our life. Our relationships at home, the way that we handle money, uh, how we are at work, how we are with our neighbors, uh, they are going to be a, a critical thing for both good and for ill. And so we've been looking at what does it mean to be human, realizing that emotion is no piece of the fall, it's no aberration of human existence, but it was something made and something we were given, a very important thing to steward and to steward well. We have been looking at Jesus as the ultimate example of the one that came to show us how to do it right, that that's what redemption and what a perfect human is like. And so as we've been looking to him, our prayer has been very simple. Father, conform us to the image of your son, as Paul said. We, uh, you, you've endured, a, actually, uh, a couple tough weeks. We talked about anger, talked about sorrow, and we're ending on joy. And so... Uh, It'll be, so that, that's, that's nice. That's a good thing. Uh, in all of them, though, I think it's, I've found, uh, as I've studied this, how much emotions, especially because we live in a fallen world, how much they're clamped to pain. That with compassion comes pain. With even anger, which is a painful thing to feel, though it's not always bad, it also can bring liberation and action, and it can set things free. Sorrow comes with healing, and it comes with joy. And joy comes with its own uh, basket of challenges. Jesus is telling us something today that's very different. We've been looking at how does Jesus use emotions? How did he wield them and how can we be like him? This is one where Jesus is inviting us into his source of emotion, to invite us into his joy. Where does it come from? And to be one with him in that joy. He says it's time to come and join him. So let's find the source of that joy and join him in it. So we're going to be in uh, John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will bear even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is an incredible picture of the health that comes with being rooted in honesty and submission and obedience to Christ and the life that comes through that. I'm curious, I, if you're in youth group, I have used this show so many times as an analogy. So Natalia, I'm sorry, and every other student in here. Anybody watch my 600-pound life on TLC? 
Is it just me? So my 600-pound life, I think Italia watches it because maybe I told her about it. No, we actually discussed it. We were fans beforehand. Uh, this is a really fascinating show. Uh, what it is is that they find people, when you get over a certain weight, they actually won't do gastric bypass surgery on people anymore, and it's very much like a death sentence. So you go to a doctor and they'll say, it's too dangerous, it's actually the anesthesia, they're afraid they can't wake them up due to the weight pressing on their lungs, and so they won't do operation. But there's this one guy in Houston that is a legendary, like bariatric surgeon is what they're called, and he will do surgeries on people that are up to and above 600 pounds uh, with a high success rate. And so TLC funds this show where the, if you qualify, they'll pay your bills, they're just going to follow you for a year as your journey towards this surgery and recovery. And I find this show completely fascinating. <laughs> like, I'm watching it before bed on my iPad, kind of fascinating. Uh, I started watching it when I was recovering from my surgery last year, and I'm on season five. Uh, hour-long episodes, 15 episodes a season, I'm, I'm in. Um, and uh, why do I find it fascinating? There is, it's not the typical reality show thing where you watch someone else's life be a wreck and you feel great about your own. So it's not like I'm sitting there and being like, I- I'm practically Jack LaLanne. I'm so healthy. <laughs> what it is is that I find it fascinating because I so much identify with the people on the show. Because the things that it, it'll open up and they'll tell their story. And uh, as they tell this, you realize that they're struggling with things that are so common to mankind in ways that we handle them, but it's in an extreme form, and so it plays out in this grand picture like a caricature drawing. Have you ever seen those? You can go to a caricature artist, and they'll draw you, and they'll accentuate features. If you've got a problem area, don't do it. Like, if you, if you think you've got a big schnoz, the artist is going to agree with you, and he's going to accentuate that. And then you get to take it home in 15 by 20 format. Point one of the sermon, don't pay a caricature artist to roast you. Um, but these patients, they do things on a much grander scale that I feel I do all the time. And so they play out this example of their own healing and their process and having to deal with years, decades of, of bad coping, bad behaviors, the things they've gone through. Uh, I can't help but see myself and see other people I know. And I guess it comes down to what is freedom and what really makes us happy. It always seems to start that way for me as I watch them. Like, what really is, what, what does it mean to really be free? And as human beings, are we very good at all at knowing what's going to make us happy? Every episode starts the exact same way. The same, like, really depressing, music starts, and they start to tell their stories of piano plays. Same song every time. I've watched it so many times, it's getting cozy to me when I hear the song start. <laughs> But they start to tell their story, and they will say, they will, they'll talk about uh, what happened in their past, where they are today, and what their life is like today. And it'll be that often there's trauma they've gone through, abandonment, abuse. Uh, and what they describe as their life is they'll say things like, uh, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. They'll say things like, when I wake up in the morning, I wish I wouldn't wake up. Or they'll say, uh, every day of my life is a living nightmare. And yet they live in all this pain, and they know that it didn't happen overnight. It's happened gradually. And even in that pain, they're still eating typically around 10,000 calories a day. 
And they say things about their eating, like eating is the only thing that makes me happy. One of the most common phrases you'll hear at the opening of the show. It's the only thing that makes me happy. The only time I feel happy is when I'm eating. And when I think about food, it's the only thing I can think about, and I just need to get it. And the very thing that's making them happy is the thing that is making them incredibly miserable. They open up talking about how their life is living hell. And yet they say, the only thing that makes me happy is the thing is when I get food. Human nature has this incredibly deep inability to know what really makes us happy. Think about in high school, like your longest lasting crush. Do you think you would have been happy with them if you married them? Now, if you did marry them, don't raise your hand. But uh, <laughs> we, have, like, we think we know what we want, and then we get it, and we find out it's not what we wanted at all. They've built a prison cell little by little through little decisions, the little things that made them happy in the moment, not realizing it was going to cost them in the long run. Does that sound familiar to you? Sounds familiar to me. It sounds like me. <laughs> this inability to know what we want and what we need leads to really bad decisions that actually lead us to being incredibly unhappy. Sometimes I swear that all I need today is a day to just veg out and watch my shows, and I will do it, and I feel unbelievably horrible by the end of the day. I was wrong. I swore I knew exactly what I needed. And it turns out it didn't really help at all. What it comes down to me is, this is how I think of it. There's two types of freedom, two ways you can express it. One is to do whatever you want, whenever you want. And the other one is the freedom to determine your own future and be able to set long-term goals. The two are completely mutually exclusive, and in every area of your life, you're expressing that type of freedom. One or the other. For these patients, they can either eat whatever they want and have a freedom to where on the show, they're going to have to go on a diet. You have to go on a diet before you get the surgery because the surgeon wants to make sure that he's doing surgery on a person who will stick with the program. So they're going to have to go on a diet. They're going to change how they eat, but it's going to be something that is going to dramatically change their life. The show ends with statements like, I never thought my life could be this good. I never thought I could take my own kids to the park. Uh, I never thought that I would be here at the gym or I'd be buying clothes in this size. Or that I would be thinking that I might grow to be old. I mean, the things these people say at the end is remarkable. They can either eat whatever they want and do whatever they want and continue to, to go after the short-term thing, or they can set long-term goals and, and express freedom in the way that they build their life and restrict their eating. Impulsivity is not freedom. That's a great American lie, because our culture, we very much value freedom, which is a good and fine thing to value. But being able to do whatever you want is a really foolish expression of that. I mean, even, even the founding documents say stuff like it's about the pursuit of happiness, that you would have this pursuit and things you're going for, not happiness right now in the moment. The most happy things we do in our lives, we pave with, with hardship and some suffering and a little bit of hard work beforehand. Freedom isn't liberty to do whatever you want. I would say freedom is, a, is the ability to simply choose life or death. Are you going to invest in life or are you going to choose short-term death? And I suppose in that sense, the choice has not changed much from the Garden of Eden to now. That was the freedom that was given to humanity. God wanted mankind to have freedom of choice, to have a certain uh, ability. When, they, when we express and say, God, I love you, it means something. I could program uh, Siri to probably say she loves me all the time. It won't mean anything because I'd made it do it. 
But with my wife, when she says it, it's her choice, and that freedom means that that expression means something. You can only really worship and express who, you, who God is and worship him back if you have that freedom. So he gives us the freedom, and the freedom was to choose life, which was to be submitted to God and to stay with him or to choose our own short-term easy solution. And in, in that sense, honestly, I know I'm, I'm working really hard to sell my 600-pound life this morning, but the gospel's in it. <laughs> We can choose to follow our desires. We can submit them and choose to follow God to where the long-term goal and the plan that we want to do and the steps that we determine for ourselves is to be with God and to be his and to be rooted with him. In every area of your life, you're expressing one or two of these freedoms in your finances, in your health, in the way you treat your family. You are either choosing to do whatever you want to do or you're restricting what you want to do so you can have the freedom to determine where you're going. You're pursuing happiness by doing whatever you want, or you're pursuing it by being intentional, even if it means suffering in the short term so that you can flourish in the long term. For these patients, doing whatever they wanted has brought them nothing but despair and pain. And doing the right thing hurts a lot, a lot of tears on the way there. I mean, they have to get up and walk around with 600 pounds on their body, and it's bone on bone in their knees. It is an, it's an agonizing path forward for them. But it ends with statements like, I never knew life could be this good. Jesus promises that being obedient to him produces a joy that is complete. I mean, that's the vision. We're talking about looking at long ahead and like, what's worth saying no to today and doing the hard thing today to have something for? A joy in Christ that is complete is something that's really worth it. This is the vision. It's the purpose of staying rooted in. The long-term goal is to belong to Christ and to obey him all the days of our life. And the path of joy is going to require submission, not doing everything you want to do in the moment. An unrestricted life of chaos, uh, we find ourselves so weighted down that we can hardly move. Another way that I find the lives of these people so poetic is that they're through their, their eating, they found themselves stuck to where now to do the thing that they need to do, it's never been this hard. It's never been this difficult. If, you, uh, if you're like me, I, when I heard vine and branches, when I imagine a, a grape vine, I actually imagine the green part, the leaves on it. It's because I'm not a vintner. <laughs> the vine is the barky part that goes into the ground, the thick stalk that everything else is sustained on. Jesus is saying that we are like branches, that you're either tied in with that and nourished, or you're apart from it. The branch is either in or it's out. Honestly, joy and holiness are completely inseparable. By holiness, we have a life with the vine, and we stay rooted with him. He says, if you remain in my teachings as I remained in my father's teachings, you'll remain in me, and I'll remain in you, and you will stay rooted in the, into the vine, and you'll be a branch with health. Yet outside of it, we are dying, and dying branches aren't good for much but except to be discarded. Now, back to my 600-pound life. Uh, Dr. Nauzarden, the name of the guy that does the surgeries, he puts them on a meal plan, uh, like I told you. And it is a strict meal plan. Uh, he tells them that uh, all protein and no, no carbohydrate. He's... he's um, Iranian, and I never knew they sounded like that, but that's what he sounds like. And he says stuff like this, you should have no problem losing 30 pounds this month. 
And so they're supposed to lose 30 pounds in a month on 1,200 calories a day, uh, no carbohydrates, no sugar, um, and they succeed to it at varying levels. You'll have some people, they come back, they were told to lose 50, like guys that are tall and that weigh 700 pounds, they have to lose 50. They'll come back and they'll lose it. Some people come back having gained because the stress of being told to be on a diet made them continue to live a life of binging. And the thing is, is that they're either abiding in Dr. Now's diet plan or they're not. There's nothing about like, well, I'll be your patient, but I won't eat the meal plan. They only get so many chances and they actually get discharged as patients because it's very dangerous to do this operation on someone that won't cooperate with you. They are not with him when they break it. Jesus makes it clear. We are not with him when we are living in disobedience. Not that he discards us and throws us away immediately, but we are not rooted in the vine and getting health from that. We are not going to be receiving that joy of completeness. Unless you are following Jesus and responding to him, you are not truly living. And this can make us feel very scared because we are very much aware of our daily sinfulness, especially the the higher your self-awareness gets and the more Bible you read, you realize, wow, it's happening like every day. I remember being a kid and, and we were some rowdy boys. And so it was like spankings. That was like a daily thing. I remember laying in my bed one day and I was going to bed and I was laying in my bunk, looking at the top bunk. And I thought, wait a minute. I didn't get spanked at all today. And it was this crazy thing. Like it didn't happen. The fact is, is that as we grow aware, we realize like we kind of kind of deserve to get in trouble every day. Sin happens. And yet, the standard is being told to us that if, we, if you want to be in Christ, you have to be rooted in following what he has to say. Jesus knows, however, that we're going to sin. The, the author of this gospel, John, he said that uh, if we claim to walk in the light and yet we stumble around in darkness, we fool ourselves and we are not in the light. But if we also, and he says this immediately afterward, if we claim we have no sin, we are a liar. And we make Christ out to be a liar and his conviction, the Holy Spirit out to be a liar. And so there's this balance of walking with God and yet admitting that we have this sin. It is not total perfection that's required of us in living. He is saying that a repentant lifestyle is required to truly live. Is it doing that thing again? Is it just me? That, if it's just me, here's the static. That's, it's you too? All right. Is that microphone working? You know what? We actually ordered a new mic. We, we cleared it in council, and uh, it's on severe back order. So at some point, this will stop. Um, where were we? Back to it. Technology. It isn't a perfect sinless lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of repentance, which is very different. Repentance doesn't mean uh, just a general like, well, I know that was wrong. Repentance, uh, the word actually means to redirect, to point your feet in a different direction, to be willing to make the corrections that it takes to say you're sorry or to uh, make the phone call or to get rid of the thing that's been bugging you. It's just this dedication and willingness to say that when I need God to come and tell me to turn the steering wheel, I'm going to turn it. And this is what makes lifestyle sin so incredibly destructive, though. Because once we've rearranged our life not to repent, to where the furniture of life gets moved around and we've set it up in a way to where this is how I live and this is what I'm in, 
we see incredible destruction begin to fall on people. We will wage war with sin this side of eternity. But when we're conquered by it, and it's taken over our lives, and its flag is erected over our lives, and it's over us, Jesus isn't king anymore. So I guess the question for you is, are you withholding repentance today? Is there something you felt convicted in, and it's been something you've made friends with, and you've decided to walk down this road with? Because today, if you are waiting for a sign for course correction, let this be it. Through holiness, you have union with Jesus. If you've been waiting for a sign, Christ is the vine and you are the branch and you bear fruit when you're rooted with him. And you are rooted with him when you are one with his teaching as he is one with his father's word. There's no reason to expect that we are gonna have joy that as Jesus says it, he calls it the, a joy that is complete when we're living in this sort of self-deception. And in that sense, is any, is any impulsivity worth it? Is it worth it to rob yourself of joy, to let that be taken away? The truth is, is that we constantly act on what we think is going to make us happy. Very rarely do we do the opposite. And the fact is, we're just wrong that often. <laughs> we are incredibly wrong. But union with a life-giving Savior who knows what we need to do, knows the kind of things we need to build towards, to sacrifice for, to, to pull back from, to deal with our own uh, gluttony of life, that's something that matters. You know, there's a, there's a, a saying or a, at least a sentiment in a lot of Christianity, the only thing I need to be happy is Jesus. That is actually not true. Jesus said that's not true. That to be happy, it requires the Lord and the community he's placed you in. It is community life. We are branches together. He doesn't say, I'm the vine and you are the branch. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. My command is this, love one another. Before he opened up this whole speech, this is what a lot of uh, people call the bullseye of John, this long speech before the crucifixion. The first thing he does is he opens it as he wraps a towel around his leg and washes the disciples' feet and says, this is an example to you of caring and serving for one another. Do this when I'm gone. The branches bear fruit to each other and with each other as it passes through who we are, that we're receiving from God and giving out. It's not going to be going through if we're corked at the end and not serving. Living in the vine means participating in the community of the vine, receiving and giving. I read an interesting story about uh, something called the Land Act of 1820, and it was this push to get people to move into the heartland of America to keep colonizing it. And you could get this enormous plot of land, but you had to live on it and homestead on it for five years. And they found that there was this enormous failure rate of people that couldn't do it and would leave, and they caught what became termed as prairie sickness. And it was this overwhelming, debilitating depression and loneliness. Because what a lot of people would do is they would get uh, 25, 50, 100 acres, and they would put their house dead center of their property. There was a study that was done uh, in the, after all of this failure, people had come and taken the property. It was around 1900. Someone did a study and found that people that built their houses in the corner of their property that would be closer to their neighbors had an astronomically higher success rate of maintaining and keeping their property. What is the first thing that's said about humanity and its purpose? As humanity is ordained and created, what does God say? 
Let them, let them go forth and multiply. Take dominion into spread. Our purpose is fulfilled in community. Not created as human, created as humanity. That, in, that we are communal creatures whose very calling cannot be fulfilled unless it is let them go forth and multiply and take dominion. And what is the first thing that God comments on the nature of mankind? What does he say? It is not good for man to be alone. Christianity is not the individual matter that we sometimes think it to be. It was an individual and personal decision that we made. It is a community to which we belong to that transcends time. A community of real people that we're meant to belong to. You know, you could get a baseball and a glove and a bat, and you could tool around with them, and you could experience a lot of the main things about baseball. When I was a kid, you'd throw the ball up, and you'd hit it with a bat, and it would felt like hitting. You could throw it up, and you could catch it in your glove, and it feels like catching. Catching and hitting, that would seems like what baseball is. But until you play on a team, you're not playing baseball. You're simulating it. You might be experiencing aspects of it, but it isn't baseball. And to some degree, you're having the fun of baseball, but it really isn't the thing until you play on a team. In the same way, you can read your Bible and you can pray and you can worship, but until you do that in the team that is Christianity, your joy in Christ is not complete. To be a healthy branch, you have to produce and convey fruit to where God's giving you something and you are giving to other people in simple service. Not because it's amazing. Jesus was the son of God. He could do anything. And he said washing feet was his service that day. Serving our community of of Christians and being a group, seeing that Christianity is a group thing, is not rocket science. Our joy in Christ is complete when we're poured out for somebody else. And until you've had the community come through for you when you needed them, your joy isn't complete. It takes belonging. The, so much of what Christ's mission was was to restore humanity what they're supposed to be. And really, that's what we've been talking about with this series is what are we really supposed to be in our emotions? At the created and ordained time, they were meant to go forth and to multiply, to be a growing community that would take dominion and remain together. And it is noted that it is not good for them to be alone. You know, there was a study that was done that found that the United States is the most individualistic human society ever. Really, the U.S., if you think about it, it is an experiment of the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment founded America, and we're the experiment. All these years later, it's still going. So uh, my point is not to say individualism is evil, but if we're that biased, if we're that far into individualism, is there a possibility that we need tempering? If you're not familiar with the process of tempering, you heat up tool steel, and when you quench it, it gets incredibly hard, the hardest it can possibly get. And it has a great cutting edge, but it will break so easily because it can't flex. It's too hard. It'll break like glass. So they'll take a knife that they've just quenched, and they'll put it back into the heat, and it'll soften the steel up a little bit and temper it so it has enough flex that is now stronger than it ever was before. I think that it is very possible that deep within us and in our minds, the psychology of who we are, We can be too individualistic and think that Christianity is this personal thing between just me and Jesus, and we don't realize there is more to that. There's a community to belong to. 
Jesus' command was love one another as I have loved you. But somehow we get this message of uh, it's a personal decision between you and I. You speak with me. And if you have time to go to church and if you have time to serve and if you have time to be with other Christians, great. But this is just between you and me. And that's where untempered uh, individualism can come into play. Jesus is reiterating what's in the created order. And we can be so, uh, so tight-fisted with our time that I have no time to give. And I've got, and I could say it better than all of us. I've got two little kids and we both work and I've got all these jobs. And yet the Holy Spirit seems to pry finger off a of finger off a of finger to loosen our time to give it to people because joy is not complete when we're alone. Something inside us tells us, I should put my house in the middle of my plot of land, and that just isn't true. Life flows through us when we're giving to the community. It's in us and around us, and we need each other, and God meant this to always be a team sport. We need to give. So what does that mean? It means get involved, serve, contribute. Join a small group for Pete's sake. Come to church early, stay late, make social plans. We picked this church as a family because someone invited us over for social plans over to their house. We have some changes that are easy, little shifts, and some things that are tectonic shifts. And when it comes to realizing how important the community is and that our time is needed there, that we're needed there, and that there's, a poor, there's an aspect of this faith with Jesus that has remained dormant until you have been there and you give and you serve, that's a tectonic shift. But the joy that comes from that is a joy that is so great, so complete, and so awesome, it is the full measure of Christ's joy, and it is something that we can have when we fulfill the calling to be together. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for just an incredible, heart-shifting changes to happen in us. Lord, I pray for those that feel like their time of repentance has come, that there's some things have been pushed off and that it's as if they have chosen the short-term thing over the long-term life that comes from being rooted in you. That through following you, through faith in you, through obedience in you, they, they have uh, a life that is in you that has remained unaccessed. God, I pray that now would be their moment of change, their moment of repentance, to turn directions, not to feel bad about it and to, to horsewhip themselves, but to say, I will go in a new direction and I will follow what the Holy Spirit's saying and I will turn the steering wheel and change where I'm going. Oh God, those sins we make friends with, Lord, turn that friendship to sourness. That we would no longer be friends with the sins and things that hold us back anymore, but that we would get rooted in you. That our thoughts and our ideas, the way we see the world, would come from you. God, I pray for us as a community that we would all be making changes together, that this would be such a special and unified church, that we would be willing to be tempered, to see the value in one another, to approach our personal faith as part of a team sport, as part of a team operation, Lord, that we need one another. Lord, even today, as I heard that Jerry Rawls' back was healed uh, through the surgery, I stopped and I thought to myself, Lord, that was a promise that because you fulfilled it to him, you fulfilled it to me because he is my community. 
When you did it for him, you did it for me. Lord, let us have a heart for each other. Then when we hear about someone who's had miracle money show up in the, in the mail, we would celebrate knowing that when it happened for them, it was my community and I am my community. You kept your promises to us when you cared for that individual because they are us. Lord, I pray for a spirit of just love and adoption and acceptance, celebrating and, and experiencing sorrow and sharing life together in such a way that we would be more like the redeemed humanity that you would see. That as you said to them in the beginning, that they would go forth and multiply. God, let us go forth and multiply. Loving and bringing people in. Lord, give us inviting spirits. And God, I pray that we would have uh, birthing within us right now a deep burden in love and an awakened desire for community. God, bless every small group that's gonna be launched. God, I pray that you would be with every social plan that we would simply enjoy and serve and love one another in Jesus' name, that we may have your joy to the fullest. We pray, amen. We, uh, in about 10 minutes, we're gonna do the, the church business meeting in here. And so if you wanna stick around for that, you certainly can. We're gonna ratify council members, go over some money stuff. It'll be, it's, it, it, it's gonna be brief. I love short meetings. Um, but if you have anything you want prayer for, we have a prayer team that's up here today. They'd love for you to come forward and uh, we'll get started with the business meeting in a bit.